The Christian life includes mountaintops when God feels close and valleys when He seems distant. Learning how to worship prepares you for both. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how the prophet Habakkuk learned that valuable life lesson. Continuing the series, My Heart's Desire, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, The Wise, Wise of Worship. Well, you know, if you read the Bible uh, from cover to cover, you're going to be uh, so surprised at some things you see in places you never have been before. And uh, you're going to realize that the blessings of the Bible are not um, restricted to the New Testament books or the book of Psalms. But the Bible is salted with blessing everywhere you look. And one of the great passages that's not known by a lot of people is in the Old Testament prophecy of Habakkuk. We're talking about that here on Turning Point today as we talk about worship, and it's one of the great worship statements of the Scripture. I hope you have read Habakkuk, but if you haven't, uh, find your place in the Bible so you can see it for yourself, and we'll get to the study of it in just a moment. As we come to the end of the month of uh, September, I want to remind you again that we just have a few days left for several things. First of all, If you haven't already ordered the Moving Mountains calendar, uh, we just have a couple of days left for you to do that, and then that offer goes away. It's our resource for the month of September. It's a beautiful 14-month calendar, including November and December of 2022. It has all the special holidays that shows the previous and next month's calendar. There's a Bible reading plan built into the calendar itself, and it's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point when you ask for this resource. We'll send it to you right away. Simply say, send me the calendar when you send your gift. And then the World of the End presale is almost over as well. October the 3rd is the last day for that. That means when you order this new book, by going to our website and doing it that way, you will not only be one of the first ones to get the book as it comes off the press, but you will also... Um, receive some other biblical assets that we make available to you for helping us uh, get this book jump-started out of the gates so it can bless a lot of people. Uh, Go to the website of davidjeremiah.org. You'll find information there. But right now, let's get started with uh, part two of The Wise Wise of Worship. When God answered Habakkuk's first why, the answer he got confused him more than the original problem. Have you ever cried out to God and he's given you direction and when you get the direction you're more confused than you were before you cried out to God? Well, don't feel like the Lone Ranger because it's happened before. And Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, Lord, when are you going to do something about these people? When are you going to judge these people? When are you going to take care of the unrighteousness in this nation? The Lord said, all right, Habakkuk, I heard you. And I will do something. Here's what I'm going to do. Verse 5. Behold you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe though it be told you. That is the understatement of the text. The Lord said, Habakkuk, I have heard you. Let me tell you what. My work in your behalf is going to be inevitable and it is going to be incredible. (laughs) Inevitable and incredible. I will work a work in your days. In other words, you won't have to wait long for this. Habakkuk, we're going to see the judgment of God upon the wickedness of the Jewish people. But the incredible thing is, I have decided how I'm going to do it. And then in these next verses of the first chapter, 
The Lord tells Habakkuk that the way he has chosen to punish the people of God is with the nation of the Chaldeans. Now let me set that in sequence for you. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were the most wicked nation in that particular period of time. You know how awfully wicked the Chaldeans were? When God called Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, the Chaldeans, he went AWOL. He didn't want to preach to them. And you know why? He was afraid some of them would get saved. He didn't want them to get saved. He wanted them to get judged. They were the most wicked, awful nation. They were cruel. They mutilated babies. They offered babies to their idols. They had cruel and inhuman treatment of their enemies. They treated women like shadows. Every vice you can imagine that is current today anywhere in the world was resident in the Chaldean nation. And now God says to Habakkuk, I've heard your cry for judgment on the wickedness of your people and I've decided to answer it and I'm going to get the Chaldeans to do the job for me. And Habakkuk's sitting there shaking his head saying, Lord, this makes absolutely no sense that you would take a nation more wicked than the nation you're going to judge and use that as your whipping boy against this nation. Why would you do that? And the rest of this book is the interchange between Habakkuk and God over that issue. The discussion of the imponderables in God's dealings with men. As we try to sort out how Habakkuk got from his wise to his worship, that he went through a period of involvement with God that is an illustration to us of what happens in our lives when we face the questions that are so difficult for us that seem to have no pertinent answer. If you will look with me at the 12th verse of the first chapter, after the Lord has described the nation that is going to be used to punish Judah, we now find in the 12th verse that Habakkuk responds, and this is another prayer of Habakkuk to his Lord. It is a marvelous, marvelous prayer. Notice, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Now just stop for a moment, and let me point out to you what this prophet has done. In order to do that, let me tell you a little story about a journey I took some years ago to the Hume Lake Bible Conference, where I had the opportunity to tramp around in the woods, in the beautiful mountain sections, and to see some of God's great creation. If you've done that much, if you're a hiker or a camper or a woodsman, you know that back in the back countries there are often great swamp areas where it's very difficult for you to move from one place to the other. If you've ever been in that experience, you know that one of the things you can do is to carefully survey the area and periodically you will see that there are some places in the swamp that are above the water line and you can see that there is a little dry spot here and if you look carefully you may be able to see that the dry spots are in somewhat of a pattern which you can negotiate and get from one place to the other without getting into the swamp itself what Habakkuk is going to do on his way from his why to his worship he is going to find some of the high spots that will help him negotiate his way through the swamp of his problems in his prayer as he prays in the 12th verse of the first chapter he extols the virtues of God and if you have taken notes on this passage or if you're in the process of taking notes 
you won't have a hard time noticing that he mentions several of the attributes of God. He is eternal, art thou not from everlasting. He is holy, O Lord my God, my holy one. He is sovereign, thou hast ordained them for judgment. He is mighty, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He is pure, he has purer eyes than to behold evil. Now, those five things in that particular prayer are the things to which Habakkuk gave his focus when he could not understand what God was doing. Do you see what he has done? He still doesn't understand what God is doing, using this unrighteous nation to judge the righteous nation which is his own. But in the midst of these imponderables, these questions, what he does is he reduces what he does know to the very absolute minimum and he calls out to God and he reviews the nature of God which is so very well known to him as a prophet. I make this observation to all of us who have ever experienced times of great questioning, times of hurt and discouragement, times of wondering that sooner or later in our lives we will face moments when we are reduced to that which may be considered the least common denominator of our faith all of us as we look back in our lives will be able to chart our lives with a would-be graph as you would you'd be able to see that we've had high moments we've been on the mountaintop and we've had low moments we've been in the valley just about everybody I know has that experience. Nobody stays on the mountaintop for very long, and thank God nobody stays in the valley forever either. But we move along the way, hopefully on an ever upward pattern toward glory, and we experience the highs and the lows of life. When we are in the valley, when we are in that moment of time when we don't know the answers and we can't seem to figure out what's going on, it is at that moment in time when we are like Habakkuk, we are reduced to grabbing hold of the truths about God which we know for a fact and hanging on to them with all of our heart. Habakkuk, his name means the clinger or the hanger on to, the embracer. I have had some wonderful high moments in my life and my relationship with my wife and my family has been one of the great blessings that God has given to me. But I have also had some low moments. You know, pastors don't often talk about their low moments. We're always supposed to be successful and always up on top of everything. But I've had some moments when I was as low as I ever hoped to get. And I remember in the lowest moment of my life that what happened to me is exactly what I observe in this prophet. Often in those days, I would swing my feet out of bed in the morning, put them on the floor, and pray something like this to the Lord in my first waking moments. God... I don't know what's going on. I know you're a good God and I know you love me. And that's all I know. Lord, the best I know how I'm going to hang on to those two things today. I'm just going to hang on to this fact. I know you're a good God and I know that you love me and I don't understand anything else that's going on. But I do know those two things. And you know, when you're going through the swampland of trouble, sometimes you have to find the high spaces and you got to step from the high spaces that you can observe and you've got to put your foot over here on God's holiness and then grab hold of a little turf over here and God's everlastingness and over here to God's goodness and over here to God's love and you can get through the swampland if you remember the God that you know and you review who he is don't spend time meditating on your problems 
That will not do you any good. Meditating on your problems just drives them deeper into who you are. You need to get your eyes off your problems and remember again who God is. And that's what Habakkuk did. In his prayer to God, he reviewed the nature of God that so thrilled him in his relationship with Jehovah. So we should not be surprised as we turn the pages of this book and we come to the last chapter that Habakkuk has gone from why to wonder and now he ends up at worship. Notice, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. That has got to be one of the greatest passages in all of the Word of God. That sounds to me like a man standing up in church after he's lost the most precious thing in all of his life and saying, as Job said in the Old Testament, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will worship him with all of my heart. His worship in this text is transcendent to the circumstances. Notice how he goes through the very essentials of life. He says in this passage, if the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, if the labor of the olives shall fail, if the fields will yield no meat, and if the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, if the world comes unglued, if everything fails, if I lose everything that I have, as Job did in the Old Testament, yet I have made the decision that I will praise and I will worship him. Yes, I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now here comes the most important lesson for all of us. How is it that Habakkuk could do that? Where did he find the inner strength to go from tragedy to triumph in three small chapters? From pondering to praise, from worrying to worship, how did he do it? It seems to me that somewhere caught up in the nuances of this tremendous book is this truth. You worship the one you trust, and you trust the one that you know. You know, if we as God's people are going to be prepared for not only the mountaintop experiences, but for those valley experiences that will touch our lives, we have got to learn how to worship God. We have got to be able to say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. But we will never be able to learn how to do that until we come to trust God to trust him even with the unanswered questions in our life, with the imponderables that we can't seem to sort out, with the apparent human tragedies that surround us. We will never be able to rejoice in God until we can trust him and we can say with Job, I don't understand this, but I know this, though he slay me, yet I'm going to trust him. How do you learn to trust somebody like that? You learn to trust him when you learn to know him. And when you learn to know God, you learn to believe in your own heart that he's trustworthy. Yes, he's the everlasting one. He's the holy one. He's the one whose eyes are pure than to behold iniquity. He's the God that Habakkuk extolled in chapter 1 because Habakkuk knew him to be that. Because he knew God, he could trust him. And because he trusted him, he could worship him.
You know, I wrote something down in my little journal that kind of startled me after I wrote it down and I read it and I thought, is that true? Then I pondered it and I think it is true and I need to just stop here for a moment and insert it if I might. Do you know one of the dangers of attending a Bible teaching, evangelical, conservative church? Listen to me carefully. You can lose Jesus in the Bible. Did you know that? You can lose Jesus in the Bible. You say, how in the world could you ever lose Jesus in the Bible? Let me explain it to you. This book has not been given to us just so that we can amass the body of information that is contained between its covers. If you learn all of the truth of this book and it doesn't drive you to a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have lost Jesus in the Bible. It is possible to go to church every Sunday and to read the text, to say amen to the pastor, to memorize the scriptures, to read the Bible every day, and not understand that this book has been given to us to draw us near to the Lord so that we may know Jesus Christ, that we might have the passion of the Apostle Paul who way at the end of his life said that his one reason for living was that he might know Jesus. And we can get so intellectual We've got all the nuances of all the verses and all the messages of all the books. We're well taught, well fed, and we have lost Jesus in the Bible. Let me ask you, does your Bible study have as its primary goal that you might come to know the Lord? Because listen, my friend, if you don't know him, you will never be able to trust him. And if you don't trust him, you'll never be able to worship him. And when you have your imponderable in life, you will be cast on the sea of uncertainty and it will be very difficult to know the difference between you and the unbeliever who is in the same situation. But if you make it your passion in life to know him, you will discover in the process of knowing him that there's a confidence that comes into your life that knowing him, you know he can be trusted. And when you can't understand all of the things that are happening, you can trust him and you can worship him. Probably the greatest impact missionary that I have ever read about, name more revered in missions than this, I don't know what it is, it's Hudson Taylor. He was a very remarkable man and considered to be the father of modern faith missions. Two volumes of Hudson Taylor's life which have been left to us by his daughter-in-law are possibly the two greatest works on missionary activity ever written. One of them called The Growth of a Soul, and the other, The Growth of a Work of God. Those two books tell us a little bit about the heart of Hudson Taylor, and probably some of you have seen the rather popularized booklet called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. His son and his daughter-in-law used to travel with him, especially in his later years. And in one of the books, they testify that they would be traveling over a hard cobblestone road for many hours in a cart that had no springs in it that was very uncomfortable. And that after a day's journey, they would arrive at last at a Chinese inn late at night, and they would endeavor to obtain a little corner in a room for their father, Hudson Taylor. Usually the Chinese inns were made up of large rooms where everybody slept in the same room. But they would always ask for a little private place for Hudson Taylor and it was because he was an aged man, but every morning without fail, every morning just before dawn, there would be the scratching of a match and the lighting of a candle, and Hudson Taylor would be up early worshiping God. 
It was his goal that he would always be worshiping God when the sun came up. (laughs) And every morning he would worship God. And he testifies in the writings of his life that the one thing that sustained him as he faced all of the many challenges and pressures of that missionary endeavor, the tremendous pressure that was placed on him even by his missionary peers, the one thing that sustained him and gave him an even gate through it all was the fact that every morning before the sun came up, he was worshiping God. And in worshiping God, he found the strength and the power and the vitality so that he made a mark upon his world that all of us here today in some way participate in. I don't know as much about this as I hope to learn in the years that are left to me on planet Earth. I want to learn with all of my heart how to be a better worshiper. I think there's so much about that that we don't know. We talk about it. We give lip service to it. More than anything that I know of in my personal relationship with God, I really want to learn how to be a better worshiper. Because there is power in worship. There is wonderful direction and perspective in worship. When we get so caught up in who God is that we lose sight of what else is happening, then we have gained a kind of perspective that will keep us going in the midst of the difficult days. Count von Zinzendorf, one of the men of church history, one day was in an art museum. He had been in there all afternoon from one o'clock on Six o'clock rolled around. He had been in the same place in the art museum. He had not moved. The curator came to close the museum and couldn't close it until Zinzendorf left. And he went over to where this young man was and he was seated on the floor staring up at a picture. The picture was a picture of the Lamb of God from the book of Revelation. He had been there all day staring at that picture. When the museum caretaker came to remove him, he put his hand on his shoulders and he looked down and he saw the tears coming down this young man's life. Underneath the picture was the inscription, if he cared that much for you, what should your concern be for him? And Zinzendorf was so taken with the thought of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he had been lost in the wonder of his worship for a whole afternoon, lost track of time, lost track of who he was and where he was as he contemplated what Jesus Christ had done for him and worshipped him in spirit and truth. I have to tell you, I've got some room to grow there. I want to learn how to worship him. I've discovered that the better you know him, the more you can trust Him. And the more you trust Him, the more you want to worship Him. Amen. Amen. Isn't that true? And all of us are on the same path. We worship uh, some better than others, but all of us with the desire that we become more, um, more committed worshipers of Almighty God, not just what we do in church, but how we live our lives every day. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about eternal perspective on worship. Worship is not just a matter of what we do here, but it has an eternal impact. You might be surprised at some of the things you can learn from the Bible about that. We'll talk about it right here on this good station when we meet together tomorrow. 
Don't forget, friends, um, we're down to the end of the offer for the month of September. Just a couple days left for you to get your calendar, Moving Mountains. This is really a beautiful calendar, and you can be proud to put it up any place in your home or your office, wherever you want it to be seen, not only by yourself but by others. And then it's filled with all kinds of good things, like a Bible reading schedule that takes you through the Bible in a year. And uh, it's a 14-month calendar, by the way. It includes November and December. It has all the special holidays already built into the calendar. And it's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. This beautiful calendar is our way of saying thank you for your gift during the month of September. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by writing to us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, and spend each day encouraged. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. The father of modern medicine and one of the founders of Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Sir William Osler, once said, The best preparation for tomorrow is to do today's work superbly well. 
This is true for each of us, no matter what vocation or plan we have for our individual lives. Christians often want to know God's will for their future as well. But our first concern should be to do God's will for today, which is worship Him, be thankful, study the Bible, to serve and to love others. God has a way of revealing the future to those who are faithful and obedient today. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's will on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.